Well, greetings. My name is Adam DePasquale. I serve as one of the lead pastors here at Walnut Hill. And uh, I tell you, it's wonderful to gather today in worship, isn't it? To open God's word. You know, here at Walnut Hill, we believe and can testify to the fact that time spent with the Lord and his word is life-changing. Time spent with the Lord and his word is life-changing. Do you believe that? Amen. 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 <laughs> Blessed believes that. I tell you, I want to do something to help kind of like, uh, you know, relax a little bit. So across all of our campuses today, New Milford, Waterbury, Derby, online, here at the Bethel campus, I want you to repeat after me in a loud voice the word life-changing. So I'm going to say it out, and then I want to hear you say it. You get how this works? All right, you ready? Life-changing. Life-changing. All right, it's pretty good. Let me hear you a little bit more conviction, right? Life-changing. Life-changing. Amen. I think I heard Pastor Joshua down in Derby with that too, you know. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God uses scripture to draw us closer to him. He uses his scripture to transform our minds and our hearts. And he uses scripture to prepare us for every good work, every opportunity that he has for us. Time spent with the Lord and his word is life-changing. So let's not take it for granted. Let's lean in today. You know, we're in a sermon series entitled Jesus Says, where we're looking at the teachings of Jesus to better understand what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God and to thrive in our relationship with Jesus and one another. And as was read, today we're looking at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. You know, I want to start by uh, taking you back 12 years ago to the year 2011 when Carrie and I were buying our home. This is a God at work story for sure. You see, we had the opportunity to buy our house from former members of Walnut Hill, Bill and Dolores Wamond, who have since moved away. Now, the fun thing about our house is it was actually built in 1969 by other members of Walnut Hill, um, Marv and Jan Happel, who still attend the church. And what's so cool about this house is to consider that outside of one owner who only lived in the house for about two years, all the owners of this home have prayed and sought to be the light of Christ in our neighborhood for 50 plus years. Isn't that pretty cool? I love that. You know, one of the blessings of buying a house from someone that you know is that you get to hear all the stories about the home and about your neighborhood, and you find out more than you normally would, right? And so we were doing that. We were walking around the house with Bill one day, and he told us a story that I want to tell you. So some years ago, a woodchuck was aggressively trying to get into our house. Got to imagine that for a moment. And Bill, being a very wise and determined man, wasn't going to be beat by this animal. And so he began to do all kinds of research, which led him to find the aardvark man. I kid you not, that was his name, the aardvark man. This was a man who specialized in protecting homes from wild and crazy animals, right? I could almost imagine with a name like that, he could have had a channel or a station, right? Or a show on the Discovery Channel. But uh, anyway, this led to this deep and protective fencing around our deck. And then the special guarding around our roof. There was no way that any animals were going to get in. You know, the aardvark man took his work so seriously that it came with a multi-year guarantee. Our house was like Fort Knox. So fast forward about a year and a half, Carrie and I are now proud owners of our home, and we're having like the best night's sleep you could ever imagine. And suddenly, we're awakened by what sounds like elephants jumping up and down in our attic, just making a racket. Have you ever been woken up in the middle of the night and you're just startled? That's what it was like for us. And I tell you, the one thing I was not going to do was go into that attic. No way, no way. So the morning came, and guess what I did? I called the aardvark man. He was still in business, and it turns out that he was ready to come and commit, come to, commit to his uh, multi-year guarantee. 
And so his truck pulled into our driveway and he got out and he was dressed for the worst. He knew what was up there. And so he came in, went up in the attic and we just waited patiently. And we waited and we waited and then we got a little anxious, we waited. Finally, he came down and he looked at us and he said, well, I can help you with this. You've got a few mice in your attic, everything's fine. A few mice in our attic, are you kidding me? You should have heard this noise. You know, the truth is that as human beings, we misjudge things all the time. We misjudge our circumstances. We misjudge people. We misjudge ourselves. We even misjudge God. Take a look at the book of Job in scripture. Today we're looking at Matthew 7. I want to tell you, it's easy to read this passage and just think, I got this one. It's pretty straightforward. Let's just move on and call it a day. But I want to tell you, this passage is challenging because it's easily misunderstood and because it's much more powerful than you realize. And so today I want to spark your curiosity. Why is Jesus raising this topic of not judging when he did? What does it mean to judge? Why do we do it? And then why is plank removal so essential to the kingdom of God? And I want to prepare you for a special guest that's going to join me in a little while. You see, right after Pastor Brian asked me to speak on this passage, I knew in my heart that I had to ask Plessa Backer to join me. If you know Plessa, you know that she's the ministry leader for our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Walnut Hill. And you also know she's an incredibly anointed and gifted leader in the church and in the corporate world. She's one of the most humble people I know. So we are going to be blessed by her testimony and her insights in just a little while. But if you would, would you pause with me as we pray? Oh, Lord God, we're so thankful we can gather as your church today and lift up your name and open your word. And I'm thankful, Lord, that your word challenges us. And I'm thankful, thankful, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who transforms our life. And I pray, Lord, today that you would do work in your church. And church, I just want to say to you, why don't you open your hearts and your minds now to the Lord? Why don't you ask him to speak to you today and move in a special way? Lord, we ask this for your glory. Amen. Amen. Let's get started. You know, we've been talking about how the passages that we're studying in this series are from what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount contains what scholars consider like the central teachings of Jesus. You know, they can also be found in Luke chapter 6, where right beforehand, Jesus has spent an entire evening overnight on a mountainside praying to his father. In the morning, he gets up and he chooses his 12 apostles. It's amazing what you can hear from the Lord in prayer, isn't it? Right after that, he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And so many believe that this chronological timing is significant because it shows that these teachings were like the core curriculum that Jesus would teach those closest to him, almost like an orientation of sorts. This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom. This is what it looks like to follow me. And while these teachings didn't contradict the existing law, they did challenge the religious leaders who would do one thing and say something completely different. There was a contradiction there. And so Jesus was differentiating himself from those leaders. He was calling his disciples back to true north, and he was bringing fresh insight into his word. And so when Jesus began teaching about our love for others and not judging, this in and of itself was not revolutionary teaching. These concepts were present in the law. Let me read to you from Leviticus chapter 19. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor 
or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. This was the law. These were known principles. God's people were to be very careful in what they thought about people, very careful in what they spoke about others, and very careful in how they acted towards others. So why was Jesus raising this command to not judge now? What was he trying to impart to those disciples? What is he trying to say to us today? You know, in order to understand, we need to look more closely at this concept of judging because as Christ followers, Jesus does call us to be discerning. He isn't saying, close your eyes to what's happening around you. And he's not saying, ignore the sin in each other's lives. I want you to remember Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 18 when he said this, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, and then it escalates from there. Interesting, the apostle Paul spoke almost the exact same teaching. He echoed what Jesus said when he wrote his letter to, to the Galatians. Listen to what he said. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. So we're not talking about ignoring sin in each other's lives. So what are we talking about? Is there such a thing as appropriate judgment versus inappropriate judgment? You know, to better understand, we have to look at the language that Jesus puts around this commandment. Jesus said, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? The original Greek word for speck refers to a twig or a piece of straw while the word for plank refers to a large beam that could actually hold an entire house up. And so Jesus is saying, how can you focus on relatively insignificant things in someone else's life, while all the while ignoring foundational issues in your own? Church, the first thing I want to say to you is that we are not called to be hypercritical people constantly searching for faults in each other's lives. We're not called to that. We're not called to make assumptions about things that we have nothing to do with or we know nothing about. You know, so often judgment comes from hearsay. Did you hear what Bob did? Bob did that? He's a terrible person. Bob's a sinner. <laughs> I don't even know who Bob is, by the way. But you know, all kidding aside, I want you to pause for a moment and ask yourself, did you engage in any fault finding, nitpicking, criticism or gossip in this past week? Did you engage in any fault-finding, nitpicking, criticism or gossip? Anything come to your mind? I know it did for me. Now I want you to ask yourself, what was happening in your heart in that moment? What was happening in your heart? You see, so often, fault-finding actually comes from a spirit of fear, jealousy, anger, resentment, insecurity, bitterness. If we're feeling any of those emotions, then judging someone else gives us this false sense of comfort as we assume the role of judge and completely take our eyes off of ourselves. This is wrong, and this is what Jesus was pointing out. You know, a friend of mine was recently sharing with me how helpful it's been for him to ask himself some questions throughout the day. He says to himself, am I mad 
glad, sad, scared, or ashamed? What is fueling my thoughts and behaviors right now? It's a good question, isn't it? You know, believe it or not, knowing the answer to those questions will actually help you stop judging others because you'll soon realize that your judgment says more about the interior of your heart than it even does about that person. Jesus is saying, don't be hypercritical. But the second thing we learn here, and the major point of the passage, is that the kingdom of God is to be marked by those who first look at the issues in their own lives before they even dare to notice, point out, or help someone else with issues in their lives. And this is because so much of our judgment comes from a spirit of self-righteousness. We find it so much easier to judge others than to dare to admit that there might be something broken or something sinful in our own lives. You know what? This is what the religious leaders were doing. They were putting heavy burdens on other people while completely ignoring their own lives, completely ignoring their sin. This was offensive to God. This was destructive to their community. This was ruining the impact of all the believers in their area. This was happening then. You know what? It's happening today. And Jesus is saying, we need to stop it. Church, we are sinners, and we're called to look at the things in our lives first. So what does it look like to take planks out of our eyes? How do we even see them? And what do we do when we discover them? I'd like to invite my friend Plessa to join me now as we talk about beam removal and the call to be set free. Would you please welcome for me Plessa? The day is here, Plessa. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Adam. I want to start and just publicly say how grateful we are for you and the tremendous blessing you are to the church and the way you invest in so many people. Amen. Thank you so much. To God be the glory. Amen. Thank Amen. You. Amen. So we're talking about this idea of looking in a mirror and actually removing the planks from our eyes, the brokenness, the sin, our blind spots. You have a really awesome story that inspires me, and I'm so grateful that you're willing to share it with us. Thank you. Yeah, in um, May 2016, I called the police to our home. I'm a single mom, I have a daughter, and I called them because of an eruption of anger on both of our parts. Um, things were just out of control, and four white police officers came to our home, and I was absolutely terrified. Um, by the grace of God, they came in with peacemaking tactics, and they brokered a deal where my daughter, if she stayed in her room and was peaceful and agreed to come with me the next day to see Pastor Jim, um, that we would leave it alone for the night, that all would be okay, at least for that night. And in that moment, I felt powerless, I felt ashamed, I felt broken, felt like a failure, um, just unable to control what was happening in our family, and I didn't know what to do. Um, went to see Pastor Jim the next day, and he was the third person to recommend Celebrate Recovery to me. And previously, I was like, yeah, I'm okay. Like, I'm good. I'm fine. Um, but this time, I was at the end of myself, and I didn't know what to do, and so I went to Celebrate Recovery in June of 2016. Amen. Amen. You know what I think is incredible is that the Lord was with you in that moment that was probably very challenging and terrifying. The Lord, like, ushered peace into your home. And then he forged a way for you actually to be able to find help in the church. That's awesome. That's Amen. awesome. I don't even know I, that I prayed in that moment, but God just intervened and was like, say this. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah. So you mentioned Celebrate Recovery. 
What was your first experience like at CR? Mm -hmm. So coming in, it was scary. Uh, 12 steps were not in my family of origin, not in my community. I had no familiarity with it. And I just wasn't sure what it was about, what it would be like. But I was blown away by the vulnerability and transparency of those who were there. Folks looked like they had it all together on the outside, but when they shared, they were admitting their feelings. They were admitting brokenness and what was happening in their lives out loud to others. And I just wondered how they got to a place where they felt comfortable sharing. Um, and uh, I thought to myself, no way am I talking about my issues to these church people. <laughs> I get that. It can be really scary to share our stuff with other people. But it sounds like you came back. Why in the world did you go back? Yeah, so I have to confess, I came back because I was really looking for a solution, a fix for my daughter. I thought, her anger is the problem. God, if we fix her, our family will be fine. Mm -hmm. um, completely oblivious to the beam I had, the log in my own eye. Um, but I kept coming back and I kept listening. And Jesus began to speak through the lessons, through the testimonies, and through what others shared. And I began to identify with some of the issues that were talked about. And for me, it was all about, yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. So what did Jesus reveal to you through that process? So within six to seven weeks of attending, he revealed that I had buried pain and resentment and wounds um, that really permeated my relationship with my daughter. It stemmed from becoming unexpectedly pregnant at 17 and feeling like my life had been stolen from me. This is not what I expected. And I just felt like my dreams of having a corporate career, going to college were shattered. And I just didn't know how to process that. Um, fast forward through raising my daughter, I was angry, I was disconnected. I was honestly emotionally abusive. Um, just all the anger that was built up inside of me. And I tried to escape my reality through food, through TV, and through relationships with men. And so what he revealed is that the anger that my daughter had that was being displayed didn't stem from her dad, it stemmed from me and how I treated her, how I parented her. So this was my beam that was blocking Christ's love from flowing to me, but also flowing through to my daughter. And this is why in Celebrate Recovery, I introduced myself as a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, who struggled with anger and food and TV addiction, and my name is Palessa. Amen. 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 I love that. It's, it's so beautiful. I don't know if you caught what happened there, but when you attend Celebrate Recovery, over time, it's such a safe environment that you feel vulnerable enough to start sharing your stuff. And then the community responds that way with such like, acceptance and love. And that's what Christian community is supposed to be about, Amen. right? You know, the thing is that we want to help you understand these steps to remove beams in your eyes. And the first thing that Plessa you've shared with us is that you have to be able to identify what those beams are. You have to be able to actually name out loud, what is that brokenness in my life? What is that sin? Mm -hmm. There's so much power in that. And you did that. And you know, the sad thing is that for most of us, we won't ever do that until there's destruction around our lives or until the relationships are broken. But the call that Jesus has for us is to be continually about this business of beam removal because he loves us and he wants to see us free, right? Amen. 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 So what did you do with all that God was showing you? Yeah, so I met with Pastor Jim and I shared what Jesus revealed. And he encouraged me to write a letter to my daughter um, to just share these things with her, to ask for forgiveness as well. And he said, 
I think it's gonna be about five pages. And I was like, wow, that's super random, but okay. So I went home, typed up the letter. It was four and a half pages, so he was right. And, um, and I shared it with her, but I was very scared and nervous, um, just confessing my wrong. Um, but I was thankful to Jesus for these steps of reconciliation. So I gave her the letter. She went upstairs and read it in her room. And I could just tell when she came downstairs by the look of her, in her face and the tears in her eyes that it acknowledged so much of her pain. Um, she knew as a single mom that I worked hard to provide, but there was always this question in her heart, did I love her? And to think about it still to this day is so painful. I mean, I'm her mom and I deeply wounded her, but this is what Jesus was after. This was the cycle that he was desiring to break and I was thankful for this first step. Mm -hmm. Amen. It's a beautiful prayer to see your family restored in that way. Mm -hmm. So based on what you're saying, I'm guessing that everything was just like healed instantly. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> um, absolutely not. This is where the real journey began. So continuing in Celebrate Recovery, um, really dealing with the character defects. I still had the anger. I still had um, resentment. But bringing that to Jesus in a safe place, being able to confess that and admit it. And as conflict arose and my anger flared and hers did as well, really going to Jesus and having him teach me how to move through that, how not to respond in defensiveness, how not to match anger with anger. And it meant that I had to apologize a lot. And he helped me actually mean it. And so I went with him with my failures. I had many steps forward and many steps back. Um, but he really helped me deal with it. And the other thing he revealed was that my daughter was not the enemy, but the enemy exploited both of our pain and our wounds to have us square up and fight each other. And Jesus helped dial that back, helped bring that back. Um, and so that was a beautiful thing. It's awesome. You know, for the sake of everyone here, can you tell us a little bit more, like how does Celebrate Recovery really help? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Celebrate Recovery is not just about becoming free from your addictions. It's really a discipleship program. It's where we sit down with the master teacher, Jesus, in a community that's also seeking him to learn what it means to love, to learn what, it, what love looks like, what it sounds like, and how it responds. And I'll speak for me, I wasn't born knowing that, I needed to be taught that. And I'm thankful that in CR, um, that Jesus got my attention. He began to show me what 1 Corinthians 13 love really looks like, and I became willing to be taught, willing to surrender my ways, my right to be right, my right to be angry, and just follow him and learn the same way how he loves me, to learn how to show that love to my daughter. Um, and so Celebrate Recovery is a safe place to do that alongside a loving community. And Jesus really showed me how to own my part, to focus on cleaning up my side of the street, not so much on focusing my, on my daughter's actions, but how did I respond as a follower of Christ and as a mom? And as he showed me how deep the stains of my sin is, my compassion grows, my judgment becomes less, and I'm willing to follow his lead. Amen, amen. I wanna just kind of draw out some of and point out some of what you're teaching us right now. And we talked about there'll come a moment in your life where you might be able to identify these planks in your life but it's not enough to identify it. We have to take the next step, which is really what you did. You owned it. Mm -hmm. We identify them, then we own them. That means that we say, you know what? These things are true about me. Mm -hmm.
And we actually have the hard point where we realize I've hurt others around me. I've hurt myself. I'm even hurting the Lord, right? And at that point we say, oh God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. That's what owning it looks like. We identify and we own them. But then we have to turn to Jesus and invite Jesus to come in. And this is essential because there are things in your life and things in my life that will never be set free from unless you have the help of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that is essential to actually say, Lord Jesus, come and bring healing in my life. So we've identified them. We've owned them. We've invited Jesus. And I want to say a lot of us stop there too. But that's when you did the hard work. Amen. The hard work comes. And I want to say that's what we call learning from your brokenness. It means learning the ways of the kingdom. It means learning new tools for your life. It means learning how to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. It means learning to invite others close to you so they can hold you accountable and encourage you, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an important and significant step. It's actually there that so much of the transformation takes place in our life, right? Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. So let me ask you this. How have you been blessed through this journey? Yeah, so three main things. So number one, I really learned and experienced what an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus is about. I learned that he is safe and I can bring all of me to him. All of my disappointments, all of my failures, all of my thoughts, even my anger, I can bring that to him and ask for his help. And he responds in tenderness, he soothes me, and he also reveals the roots of my brokenness. Um, And secondly, I am being transformed um, into the mother that Jesus always intended for me to be. I'm more tender, more compassionate, more gentle. And this is not naturally me, I can tell you, but this is Jesus at work in me. And so I'm so thankful for that. And thirdly, the relationship with my daughter. You know, God hasn't just restored it or refurbished it. He made it brand new. And I am so thankful for him and that he got my attention. And I've seen my daughter just blossom under love and acceptance. And sometimes I just, I think about how we are in the kitchen, how much of a team we are. And I'm like, who are we? (laughs) It's pretty amazing. Um, And my daughter, Amani, is a gift from God. Not Not one that I expected, one I'm so thankful to have. Um, she is my hun bun, and I love her so much. Amen, amen. You know, I told Plessa this, but while we were preparing, I felt led to look up the meaning of your daughter's name, Imani. And in that moment, it was like the Lord came down to my office. I remember the moment because her name means peace. Amen. And uh, how amazing that through this process, the Lord is bringing restoration, mm-hmm. uh, reconciliation, but I believe preparing your daughter, and she already is, but an agent of peace of the Lord. Amen. Wherever she goes, Amen. I just believe that she's gonna be a peacemaker and there's even more to come for her. It's Amen. a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let it be so. And let it be so. Amen. So, surprise, you're going through this process and all of a sudden you're asked to become the ministry leader of Celebrate Recovery. Yes, my brokenness <laughs> fully qualified me. Amen. <laughs> but Celebrate Recovery is a safe place to process whatever is blocking the flow of love and peace to you and through you. Jesus sees your pain and longs to bring you relief. So we meet every Thursday from 7 to 9 p.m. in the upper room, and we do broadcast our large group meeting on Zoom webinar. So if you're here today on the Bethel campus, we do have an info table set up for you, and if you're watching online or on one of our other campuses, you can email care at walnuthillcc.org for more information. And I do have a video I'd like to share, but before we roll that, um, I do wanna thank you, Adam and Brian and Craig, our elders, 
also Pastor Jim, Lucy, Pastor John Dissinger, for your support and your prayers of Celebrate Recovery as we approach nine years. It just means so much to us, Amen. so thank you. Amen, can we thank Palesa for sharing today? Thank you. Thank you. Where did your dreams go? The dreams of childhood, the wishes of the young and innocent heart, the hopes to make the team or to make the winning play, to make your family proud, the dreams to go somewhere, to do something, to become something, to get out ahead of the world, to leave behind your fears and worries, to see how vast and beautiful the world can be to discover, to dare, to dive in, to know and be known, to love and be loved. All of those dreams, where did they go? One day we wake up and we feel the weight of our decisions, the consequences of what we've done and what's been done to us, the words, the actions, the lies, the addictions, the shame, the cycles, anger, the spiral. There's an emptiness that sets in. And all the years, the days and the dreams that are gone, we wake up and realize we're not as strong as we think we are. And it may have taken a great sorrow for us to realize that. But thankfully, you're not the only one with a dream for your life. There is one, our maker, our creator, the dream giver, who before you were even born had a plan for your life, a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, the one who imagined you, who delights in you, who gave up his own life for you. He has a plan for you. It's bigger than your mistakes, bigger than your regrets, bigger than all the hurts, hangups, and habits that have tried to steal your hope. No matter where you've been and no matter what you've done, you're not too far gone. God is for you and his dreams for your future are good. A future of joy, a future of purpose, a future filled with redemption and renewal, promise and possibility. Don't stop now. Don't give up yet. This is the part where the story gets good, where the battles are won, where the prodigals come home, where the dead awaken to life. Your past is not your future. There is a God who does the impossible. There is more to come. Come, rejoice with us. Welcome to celebrate recovery. Amen. Amen. What a movie trailer, right? But that's real. That's real. Listen, church, the Lord loves you so much. He loves you so much. And while we're called to be discerning, we're not called to be nitpicking and fault-finding and critical of people around us. When we do that, it reveals what's really in our heart and the brokenness that's in all of us. And so this message today is for every single one of us. Maybe you're visiting today and you're like, where have I come to? <laughs> Please come back next week. Learn about what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been following the Lord for a little while and while we were having the sermon, the Lord spoke to you and he said, what about this? What about that? 
I want you to take note of that. Maybe you came in today and you thought, I am such bondage. If people only knew, they wouldn't want to be around me. I want to say the Lord sees you and he loves you and he wants to set you free. You know, as we were preparing the sermon, Pastor John Dishinger wrote, Plessa and I a note to say, I'm praying for you. And he said, I was reading in John chapter five where Jesus is at the pool of Bethsaida and he sees a man who can't walk and he says to him, do you want to get well? And I feel like that's what the Lord is saying to us today. Do you want to get well? It's a question that you have to answer. But the Lord is calling you to respond today. The Lord is calling you to respond. You know, a number of years ago, a prayer servant named Alberta was praying in a corporate prayer gathering, and she said, Lord, I believe this church is called to be a healing hospital and then a bright beacon of light. In your church, that's true. It's happening, but there's more to come. I really believe it. And so the Lord wants to bring healing into every single one of our lives so that when we go out, we bring the grace and truth of the Lord, but we bring the compassion of the Lord. We come as his hands and feet. If we don't do that, do you know what we do? We go out in judgment, just like the Pharisees, and we end up hurting people. Let's not do that. There's a calling upon this church to be a healing, a hospital. There's a calling upon your life to be set free. May we respond to the Lord. You know, I pray that this message has been encouraging and challenging, but I pray that it helps each of us go deeper in our relationship with Jesus than ever before. Amen.